Welcome back. I'm Olivia, and this is Quirky, Creepy, and Freaky, the podcast where I tell you about wonky animal facts. And a few moments ago, the upstairs neighbors, I must have been moving furniture, I suppose, so I think they're done now, but if there are any random loud banging sounds that sounds like a bowling ball was dropped on the floor or something... Uh, that's all it was. I think my microphone is usually pretty good at filtering out background noise. Um, but just in case. Uh, but anyways, it has been a newt-filled couple of weeks for me, so today we are going against the schedule and throwing in an episode about newts. In particular, the eastern newt. But we'll go over some good salamander facts in general, and whether or not salamanders are different from newts, and vice versa. And if you stick around to the end today, after the credits, there will be a special little treat of my cat Coco um, chewing on some bubble wrap in a controlled fashion where zero bubble wrap was eaten. Um, just the purry filled noises of Coco chomping on plastic. It's a good time. So salamanders. Salamanders are amphibians, and according to the American Museum of Natural History, there are 820 species of salamanders around the world. Being amphibians, they spend at least part of their lives in water and part on land, kind of going back and forth, with some salamanders having distinct terrestrial life stages before transitioning back to fully aquatic adult life. They have the ability to breathe through their skin, but for many species, this is supplemental. Most salamanders have lungs that act as their primary oxygen source, but there are some species that don't have lungs as adults. And in some instances where um, just developmentally, they keep their gills and don't get rid of their, or they keep their gills and um, they don't develop lungs. So there are some species and some individuals that end up not having lungs as results. And so then they have to either rely on their gills or rely solely on the oxygen they can get through their skin. A couple of different sources had slightly different taxonomic groupings for salamanders, but we're gonna go off of the chart from the amphibian species of the world list from the American Museum of Natural History. It appeared to be the most updated and it I uh, agreed for the most part with a couple of the other sources I read, and I figure being a museum, they probably have some frog people or some amphibian people working for them, and it should be the most updated. I always really appreciated, this is a side note, with marine biology, there is uh, WORMS, the World Register of Marine Species, and it just has, it's a website that has, like, everything. If it is a critter that lives in the ocean, nine times out of ten, it's going to be in there with updated taxonomic information. So if the species name changed, it's going to be updated. It tells you the historic lists of um, like what names it used to have, if it used to be grouped in an entirely different area. It has all of that paved out. It has sources for more information, sources for when it was discovered, all sorts of good stuff. You can also sometimes find some pictures if you're lucky. Mostly, most of your common species should have that. And so being primarily marine trained, 
I always, I kind of miss having that resource, um, or I'm always a little bit bummed when I don't have a similar resource for land critters. Um, I mean, there are a lot of bugs out there, especially beetles, so maybe, I don't know, I guess there's a chance it could be a little impractical, but also if uh, you have, like, worm specialists to make sure every single, like, polychaete worm species has updated taxonomic information, I feel like there are probably adequate bug people to do the same thing, and it's gonna come down to funding. Like, worms had to have been funded at one point to get it started and have a, uh, at least several very inspired people to get it organized. But still, I, it would be nice to have a similar resource for land, which I guess then if some of, if somebody does know of one and I just haven't come across it yet, it would be appreciated. Um, uh, that was quite the side tangent. So, I mean, if you want to learn about submarine critters and their species names and some fun facts about them, check out worms. <laughs> um, anyways, so, um, salamanders. The American Museum of Natural History has, um, the list of amphibian species around the world. They have the taxonomic listing of, like, all the salamanders, so good resource for the amphibians, at least. Um... So, the museum has salamanders in order codata um, of the amphibians. Another source did have codata as a clade instead of the order and had a different name for the order. So, we are at least still just in codata, whether that is an order or a clade, whatever, codata. What characterizes salamanders and puts them all together are their generally sort of lizard-esque slender bodies. They have short limbs and they have tails both in larvae and as adults. So even though there are only about 820 species of salamanders, there really is quite the diversity. On the one end, you have the giant salamanders, the biggest of which can be about two meters or six feet long. Those ones live um, East Asia sort of area. And then we have our Eastern newt that only gets to be about seven inches max. Um, I saw a couple yesterday that were probably only about five inches long, which easily could have fit in my hand if I picked them up. And then we also have like things like mud puppies, the axolotls are in there, which are mole salamanders, and we have groups of lungless salamanders. So there's just like all sorts of little critters. So much like the orders, the number of families we have seems to also depend on the source. Um, I counted the Museum of Natural History had nine families, how Stuff Works had a great article on salamanders versus newts, and they said that there are 10 families. Um, but these sorts of things are constantly being expanded or condensed, so we're in that range. Um, the one that we are primarily interested in today are the true salamanders, the salamandridae. I didn't see in my research why this particular family is considered the truest of the salamanders. Maybe they're just the most salamandery out of all the salamanders, but it's not like any of the other salamander families are considered like false salamanders, but hey, true salamanders. And this will put us a bit into the first little um, intro of salamander versus newt. We'll get deeper into it later, but um, within the salamandridae, there are three families, one of which contains the newts, the Plurodelinae. So, therefore, we can officially say that all newts are salamanders, but not all salamanders are newts. Um, and again, we'll get deeper into newt versus salamander later, but for now, let's get into our little friend, the eastern newt.
The eastern newt is a pretty common little guy throughout eastern North America, can be found pretty much east of the Mississippi River and even up into Canada. Generally, where you can find these guys is pond or lake habitats, particularly um, areas with sort of like muddy, silty bottoms, and then any surrounding forested areas in and around leaf litter, under logs, um, places where moisture is stored like that. Because even if you're going to be on land, you still need to have, you still want your skin to be nice and moist and good things like that. Chances are with the Eastern Newt, the life stage that people are most familiar with is the Red Eft. There are three uh, major life stages after the egg stage, of course. Of the Eastern Newt, you have the kind of larval stage, which for these guys looks like a um, large tadpole with external gills and like some cute little front legs. And then we have the Red Eft as the juvenile stage. At this point, you have your red terrestrial newt. It's about a few inches long, something like seven centimeters, primarily living in moist, foresty areas around the leaf litter. If you are on the podcast social media, then you would have seen a couple pictures of these guys show up in the feed. I, I have seen a couple of adult newts as well lately, but so far it's mostly been the F stage that I've gotten able to get a really nice spot on in the last couple weeks and a lot of good pictures. I don't really have a good camera for getting like under the water newt pictures. Um, well, I guess technically I do, but I didn't have it with me the other day and I don't think I would have been able to reach them. So with the, with what I have, adult newts are a little tricky to get pictures of. So this is the time of year to see the red eft. They're out and about the most from late summer to autumn. And the stage actually lasts quite a long time, at least for it being a juvenile stage. I always figured that maybe it would be like, maybe like a year or so, like their juvenile stage for a year. However, an individual newt can stay in the red F stage for anywhere from two to seven years before settling down in a pond and transforming into the adult form. When the newts are in the red F stage, they are a pretty vivid red-orange sort of color with variable spotting on their back. So they aren't exactly camouflaging into the forest floor very well. They stand out pretty good. So why be bright red if you're so vivid and easy to spot by predators? So these are warning colors. Good ol' aposmatism. Adults do still carry some of the toxin, but at least in the eastern newt, the red eft juvenile stage carries the most of the poison and has poison glands that produce a potent neurotoxin called tetrodotoxin. This toxin would be poisonous to anything trying to eat it, but it does also make them taste bad. An ideal situation for the newt would be that something would go to eat it, go black that tastes bad, makes my mouth itchy, uh, spit it out, so like there would be some inflammation and stuff going on in there, some swelling. The newt would be spit out, and then both the predator and newt would walk away with the predator having just had a rather unpleasant experience trying to eat a snack and being very unlikely to try it again. The alternate outcome is that the predator eats the newt, ignores the unpleasant experience, continues eating the newt, and then dies after it eventually becomes paralyzed and suffocates. 
And then that predator is technically not going to be eating any more newts. So then that newts end up, that individual newt would have ended up becoming a bit of a martyr sacrifice for the sake of the newts. For humans, since we are unlikely to be going around licking and eating newts, the poison is unlikely to cause us any harm. Of course, if you're going to be handling them, um, much like handling toads or really any wildlife, it's just a good idea to wash your hands after handling them and before touching like your face, putting your finger in your nose, whatever. Really, just in case. Um, in general, though, as long as you aren't running around licking newts, you're going to be fine. So yeah, just don't lick the newts. Um, so toxin aside, one of the bonuses of having this terrestrial juvenile stage is that it gets to walk around to new areas. It can be important in helping to make sure that the eastern newt population has a nice and wide distribution and ponds don't end up having super isolated population of newts because that can lead to some genetic diversity problems. But once the red eft has found its pond, and it's feeling ready to do the whole metamorphosis thing again, it will then transform into the adult form of the newt. The adult eastern newt turns back into a similar olive uh, greenish color that it was as the larval sort of tadpole form, but it will still uh, retain some of the spots. There are some different regional subspecies that have different spotting and striping patterns, but it's going to have some sort of spots or stripes in some way, shape, or form. Adults also regain the large tail fins. Red Fs, of course, do have a tail, but since they're on land, they don't really need the large fins that are on the adult and larval tail. Um, so the adult form is going to be what you're going to find in your ponds and lakes, and they eat on all sorts of small critters like bugs, so they're going to be really nice for helping to keep mosquito populations down because they could eat mosquito larvae. Um, also some worms, leeches, which is a kind of worm. So I find it interesting that the uh, sources listed them separate. And um, they will also eat the eggs and tadpoles of other amphibians. As an interesting note, in some eastern newt populations, the red F stage sometimes gets skipped altogether. This is considered a bit of a fluke, but it's also not solely an eastern newt thing. Some newts just do this sometime. And this can happen in other salamander species as well. It's not strictly newt. So in our case of the eastern newt, the larval tadpole-like stage of being a newt does have external gills. And then when they metamorphosize into the eft stage, they lose those external gills in exchange for a nice set of lungs. Other salamanders that don't have the eft stage will also typically lose the gills in favor of a set of lungs, just without that middle eft stage. So what happens when it skips the eft stage? The newt will still undergo some form of metamorphosis, but it's a little less dramatic. Instead of losing the gills, it's going to keep them as an adult, and it also uh, retains, or they'll also retain some of the retain some of the other larval characteristics as well, such as having a bit of a broader head. So these will kind of just look like a, um, a very large baby salamander. As far as I could tell, we don't exactly know what triggers it or any bonus or not of having the sort of developmental flip-flop, but it does happen in salamanders. 
Um, and now to round out the salamanders and we're going to dive back into that salamander versus newt conversation. So as I mentioned before, all newts are salamanders, but not all salamanders are newts. Originally, the newt designation was a traditional unofficial name, but then there were some genetic studies that confirmed that the salamanders that we were calling newts were actually all related. There are a few characteristics that make newts different from other salamanders. Newts all do tend to have that eft stage as a juvenile, so they're going to have a pretty strictly terrestrial stage that makes for an alternation between that aquatic and terrestrial stage. Other salamanders don't usually have this sort of um, juvenile eft stage. They just go from larval form to adult form. Newts are pretty unique in having this little middle stage. One of the subtle characteristics is that newts usually have rougher skin than most other salamanders. And finally, all newts have poison glands. There are some non-newt salamanders that are also poisonous, and uh, some sources did say that most newt or most salamanders are actually poisonous, um, but there are some salamanders that don't, but all newts do have poison glands. In fact, the most poisonous salamander is a newt. It's the rough-skinned newt. The rough-skinned, the rough-skinned newt is um, potent enough that if it's eaten, it could kill up to 100 people, or in things that are more likely to eat the rough-skinned newt, um, it could kill up to 2,000 kingfisher, kingfishers, which is a kind of small to medium-sized um, fish-eating bird, or about 200 herons. So to sum that up, the difference between newt and salamanders, newts tend to have that eft stage, they have rougher skin, and all have poison glands with the eft stage being one of the primary characteristics. And then the non-newt salamanders tend to have smoother skin, don't have that eft stage, and not all non-newt salamanders have poison glands. And that's what I have for you on newts. To go out and find your own newts, um, you're gonna want to go to the woods, preferably on a rainy day, but not necessary, um, and look around the pond in the leaf litter. Especially this time of year, if you live in uh, eastern North America, you might have some good luck finding a red eft. If you do flip over logs to try to find some newts or salamanders under there, be sure to put them back. If you are taking a nap during the day, or I guess in our case at night, but if you are taking a nap and a giant opened up your roof, you wouldn't like it very much if they didn't put the uh, if you didn't put that back. And either way, you'd likely be quite disturbed for a long time afterwards. So put back the log, don't be a crazy giant, and be kind to the newts. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and know anyone in your life that needs to learn a bit about newts and salamanders, which we all know is everybody, everyone likes newts, uh, share this podcast with your friends. They can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podbean, pretty much wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to subscribe so you can be notified of future episodes and leave a review. It would be great if you all, if you enjoy um, listening to the podcast, give us a five-star review. Um, you can do that on, um, I know Spotify has a reading system, Apple Podcasts slash iTunes. So those are all great ways to support this podcast and help new people find us. If you are on 
Facebook or Instagram. Be sure to give us a follow at Quirky, Creepy, and Freaky on Facebook and Quirky, Creepy, Freaky Pod on Instagram to get all the pictures and updates on the podcast. Thanks to my sister, Kaylee Stripe, for creating the theme music. And thank you all for listening, and we will see you next time. Bye.